Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. So the other day, my dreaded engine light came on, and, uh, you know, it's always a bummer when you see that because you're automatically wondering, okay, what are we in for this time? How much is it going to cost, you know? But um, I'm not one of those ignorant people that keeps driving on an engine light because when you have the engine light come on, you don't go try to figure out what's the matter. You risk breaking more stuff. You don't want to break more things. So what I do is when I get an engine light, I quickly go to the auto parts and I let them scan my truck and they can tell you what the error code is so you can see what's wrong with it. Now, what I found out was I had a bad O2 sensor and I wasn't entirely familiar at the time. What's the O2 sensor? I can't remember. My friend Mike come over and he helped me work on it. My dad was there too. And man, that sensor was a son of a gun to get out because it had been there for so long. It was been in there for such a long time. It was hard to, the, the heat and then the cold, you know, because it's right on the exhaust pipe. It's hard to, it was just in there. I mean, it was stuck. We couldn't break it. Uh, we had to get a heating torch and, you know, my dad knew things about how to use heat to get uh, stuck threads and things out. But again, I had experience. I had Mike, I had my dad with me and they knew how to do something about it. And so we got a thread chaser and we chased it in there and we cleaned the threads. It made new threads, got the new sensor and put it in. And thank God it worked. We finally got it, but we got it because I had help. So I want you to hold on to that picture for a minute as we go into First Kings chapter 7. So here we are in First Kings chapter 7. Solomon had spent seven years building the temple at this point. So let's see what happens after that. In First Kings 7 verse 1. But Solomon took 13 years to build his own house, so he finished all his house. He also built the house of the forest of Lebanon. Its length was 100 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits, with four rows of cedar pillars and cedar beams on the pillars. And it was paneled with cedar above the beams that were on 45 pillars, 15 to a row. There were windows with beveled frames in three rows, and window was opposite window in three tiers. And all the doorways and doorposts had rectangular frames, and window was opposite window in three tiers. He also made the hall of pillars. Its length was 50 cubits, and its width 30 cubits, and in front of them was a portico, which is a porch, a portico with pillars, and a canopy was in front of them. What I see here is that Solomon's palace, he took longer to build that than the temple. He spent twice as much time almost building his own house than he built in the house of the Lord. Now, this is where we start the beginning of a backslide, is where he, Solomon starts messing up. He started turning away from the Lord. Now, I want to show you something 
that I consider to be catastrophically sad here. This other house that he had built was called the House of the Forest of Lebanon. And it wasn't even in Lebanon. They built this thing in Jerusalem. It wasn't even in Lebanon. So you're wondering, why was it named the House of the Forest of Lebanon? Probably, I'm thinking they had a big party to honor the king there, or, or the guy, they sent them all the cedar trees. Hey, let's, let's build something for them. Let's have a big party. Let's fluff up the people of Lebanon. They, he started directing the honor to other people. Now, I guess it was time to stop honoring the Lord, because that's what he was supposed to be doing, was honoring God. And he spent more time in these other buildings, and now naming them, naming other buildings after other people. I guess it, we're not honoring the Lord anymore. Let's honor everybody else. So this and I'm going to say it again with dramatic effect. This house of the forest of Lebanon, <laughs> it had four times the floor space than the temple of the Lord did. Another thing about the house of the forest of Lebanon is that Israel ended up using this facility as an armory. They actually stored their weapons in there for uh, some of their military defense. When I found this little detail about the house of the forest of Lebanon, that really started. Now, I was really getting some some meat out of this chapter here today. It's not just about buildings. There's something more going on. So I want to take you into the future, something I found, to a time when Israel, they had fallen so far off into sin that they provoked God's wrath to where he actually sent forces in to attack them. You know, that's something that happens with a nation when they provoke God's wrath. He hands them over to their enemies. God does that because he was trying to wake them up. Turn back to me. They got off track. Now, I want you to take you in the future. Take a look at Isaiah 22 and 8. Please have your Bibles out and read along with me. Isaiah 22 and 8 says, He removed the protection of Judah. You looked in that day to the armor of the house of the forest. See, there's your house of the forest of Lebanon right there. They didn't look to God. You looked, it says, you looked in that day to the armor of the house of the forest. You also saw the damage to the city of David, that it was great. And you gathered together the waters of the lower pool. You numbered the houses of Jerusalem and the houses you broke down to fortify the wall. You also made a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool, but you did not look to its maker, nor did you have respect for him who fashioned it long ago. Okay, they got in trouble. They provoked God's wrath because they fell off into sin. They forgot about God. They weren't honoring him. They weren't following him. These forces come in that God sent to turn his people back around. And instead of looking to God, they looked to the house of the forest of Lebanon, their, their armory. They looked to their weapons of their own warfare rather than looking to the God of Israel who said he would protect them if, he, if they would follow his ways and obey him. They didn't look to God. Do you have other things you look to instead of God when you get in trouble? That's the problem we have here. And it says that they actually started tearing down houses to fortify the wall. I mean, that's how desperate they were. Let's fortify, let's build our defense wall, start tearing houses down. <laughs> Imagine if that was your house. Hey, what are you doing to my house? Hey, sorry, got to build a wall, buddy. And you're not looking to the Lord God. See the see all the destruction. They it wasn't just the enemy that destroyed them. They were actually causing their own destruction on themselves. That's how bad it got. But you see what they did. They did not look to God to protect them. They didn't look to God for their provision. 
They'd fallen off so bad by that time, they looked to their armory in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Now, we're in 1 Kings 7, but just recently we were studying in 1 Kings chapter 5. Remember, they had so much respect for the Lord, and even in chapter 6 too, they had so much reverence for the Lord that Solomon commanded, don't use your noisy tools in this temple. When they were building the temple, they would not use chisels and hammers in the temple construction. They had to measure and cut the rocks at the quarry first before bringing them in. Have reverence in this temple, no noisy stuff going on. And so fast forward into the future just a little bit, like I just took you, and look how far they'd fallen. They had fallen a long way. And if you read on in Isaiah 22, it even says that the Lord called for them to have a time of repentance, a time of sadness and weeping over their sin, but they didn't follow the Lord even in that. Instead, they had a big party. And that's where we get our saying in that Isaiah 22, that the famous saying, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we're going to die. That's where that came from. You guys, the Lord, after seeing that, he says, I'm calling for repentance. He said, no, we're going to party up because we're, we're going to be dead soon anyway. The Lord says, you know what? There's no atonement for your sin. I'm not even going to forgive this because they were so willful in their sin that they just ran themselves straight in the dirt. Guys, talk about a fall. Now here in 1 Kings 6, things were glorious. I mean, 1 Kings 6, things were going great. Solomon was building the house of the Lord, and it was all wonderful things going on, respect and reverence for God, honor to the Lord. But now look how bad things are starting to go here in chapter 7. Now we're building bigger buildings, spending more time, more riches, more floor space, everything. We're going to give this to, hey, that's for the people of Lebanon. We're going to, it's not God anymore. They're not honoring the Lord. God is suddenly not in the focus. He's not the, the priority of honor anymore. Culture had taken over is what happened. First Kings 7 and 7. Then he made a hall for the throne, the hall of judgment, where he might judge. And it was paneled with cedar from floor to ceiling. And the house where he dwelt had another court inside the hall of like workmanship. Solomon also made a house like this hall, here comes another one, see, for Pharaoh's daughter, whom he had taken as wife. All these were of costly stones cut to size, trimmed with saws inside and out from the foundation to the eaves and also on the outside to the great court. The foundation was of costly stones, large stones, some 10 cubits and some 8 cubits. And above were costly stones, hewn to size, and cedar wood. The great court was enclosed with three rows of hewn stones and a row of cedar beams. So were the inner court of the house of the Lord and the vestibule of the temple. So Solomon, he had already spent twice as much time on his own house than he put into the temple. But now Solomon's Egyptian wife, even she gets a house now. You can see he really didn't marry her for love. What do I mean by that? Um, if I had my wife and I said, well, this is my house here. I'm going to build you a house way over there. You go over there and you stay in that one. And I'm going to stay way over here in this one. It's like, excuse me, did you marry me because you wanted me? (laughs) It seems that his reason for marrying her was just to make a traditional peace treaty with Egypt as first Kings three, one says. So he built her own house to stay in. And I just see trouble here. He's put more into an Egyptian wife. He's not supposed to intermarry, but this is quite the indication that he had no intention of spending any real time with her. I want to show you a a parallel verse in 2 Chronicles 8 and 11. 
Now Solomon brought the daughter of Pharaoh up from the city of David to the house he had built for her. For he said, My wife shall not dwell in the house of David, king of Israel, because the places to which the ark of the Lord has come are holy. So it's like Solomon viewed his wife here as dirty. She's filthy. She can't come in here. Holy things happened here. Solomon had become somewhat confusing here to me, his integrity. Because on one hand, Solomon built the temple of the Lord with such reverence that he ordered all the material to be pre-cut, no loud noises here at the construction site, and reverence for the Lord. So Solomon had great reverence, reverence for the Lord in one hand, but in the other hand, Solomon did not have reverence for the Lord because he intermarried with a non-Israelite woman. He wasn't supposed to do that. And even after he married her, he only shoved her out of the way in her own house because he felt that her presence would profane David's palace where the Ark of the Covenant had been, where such closeness connection to the Lord had been. So it's like he's trying to have reverence over here, but not over there. You ever seen those people? I'm such a great Christian. I, I honor the Lord, and they do all these great and wonderful things. But then, like as soon as they walk outside of the church doors, they go back to living like the devil again. That's an integrity problem. There is no integrity. There's no oneness in that. So my question to Solomon is, why did you marry this lady? Especially when he should have known what God said about intermarriage in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 2. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. This is what we're seeing right here. You intermarry with non-Israelites, then they will bring their pagan culture, their ungodly, their false gods, and start turning people to leaving the Lord. That's what cultural things will do. Hey, hey, you don't need God. You need the house of the forest of Lebanon. Go to your armory. You don't need God right now. Hey, you don't need God. You need you need money. Money will get you out of this. The, the Lord don't, doesn't matter here right now. You see what culture can do to you. So what we're seeing is the beginning of Solomon's backsliding in sin, which is going to cause him to turn away from following God ultimately. And that's exactly what ends up happening to Solomon. In fact, I want to show you this in the future. It says, 1 Kings 11, in Solomon's future of this time, it says, but King Solomon loved, uh-oh, it's not just one woman anymore, it says, but King Solomon loved many foreign women, many, he had a bunch of wives, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. But Solomon clung to these in love, it says. Guys, they turned him. All these women, oh, come on, you got to follow my God. Oh, my family has been following this God for so long, and we're rich, and we have it made, and we're doing so well. Our God has to be good. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll follow him then and, and abandon the Lord. Oh, and, and plus, I love her. Oh, I just love her so much. Man, let me tell you, people, when you just fall head over heels with some guy or girl, oh, I just love them. You're going to be vulnerable to doing what they do. Be careful that they don't drag you away from your commitment to the Lord. If they can't commit to the Lord like you are, 
you probably shouldn't be with them. If they're not going to follow the Lord like you do, dump them. I'm just going to say that blunt. Just dump them. If they will not do it, you don't need them. Follow the Lord. Don't abandon him. People will cause you to turn, and that's what Solomon allowed. He, He allowed to be turned and follow their false gods. Now, when making that treaty with Egypt, in Solomon's mind, he was just following man's traditional protocol on how to establish peace. Well, this is just how we do it. You know, that's what really gets me about turning away from God is that it always introduces itself something as good. Every time you turn from the Lord, it's always because it looks like a good thing. It always presents itself as this one. Oh, it's the right thing to do. Friends, I've got advice for you. Anything that your culture or your environment tells you is the right thing to do, chances are it's not. Okay. Anything that's popular out there today, whatever mindset is or whatever the, the, the trend is, be very careful of what's popular. Chances are it's ungodly. You got to weigh it against the word of God. Does God want you to join in that? So when Solomon made the treaty, maybe he was thinking, you know, but th- this is just how we do it. This is the way you make treaties. You, you intermarry. And so he abandoned what the Lord said. The Lord says, don't intermarry. You know, he could have made a treaty without marrying the daughter. Israel at that time was in a position of power. They weren't under Egypt's thumb anymore like they had been for 400 years. They were a superpower now. They didn't have to intermarry and break God's law to have a treaty with them. They could have said, no, we're going to draft a treaty without doing the marriage part. That's the way we're going to do it. And if Egypt said, well, we don't want that, well, then so be it. It's not going to happen then. But when he married this woman, the Pharaoh's daughter, He violated God's direct command not to intermarry. That's the problem, because that would be the start of his turning away, and now he has. So on one hand, Solomon had high regard for the Lord when he built the temple, but on the other hand, he had no regard for the Lord when he intermarried with all these foreign women. It started with Pharaoh's daughter. Now he's got a whole, later, by chapter 11, he's got a whole bunch of them. Solomon had lost his integrity. He had lost his oneness. So Solomon all that. He had all that reverence building the temple, and already Solomon had begun his backslide turning away from the Lord. And up front, in the beginning of all this, what started the mess, it all looked right. It looked like the right thing to do. Peace treaty with Egypt. Oh, that sounds so good. That sounds like the right thing to do. But this turn was wrong, and it was so subtle. It was so small. Solomon was influenced by the culture. He apparently was unaware that he was even making this turn. In fact, we're going to see later that this seemingly small turn here in chapter 7 that looks so right would actually turn into a big problem later in 1 Kings 11 and 5. It says, For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. So you can see how bad this turn was. Oh, but it's for the peace. It's for peace. Friends, you're going to get no better real solid peace than in the Lord God. But you know, I got to thinking the other day about this big difference between David and Solomon here, because the Bible just compared the two of them just now. Remember when David was young, he had to fight for everything. He was hunted down by Saul. And even before that, David was a shepherd and it, a lowly shepherd dismissed by society as nothing. You're the bottom of the heap. And even as a shepherd, he had to fight off lions and bears from getting to his flock. But Solomon was very different. He was 
born in royalty. He didn't have to fight like David. He wasn't on the run like David. He was, I don't mean to discredit Solomon, and I don't want this to sound bad, but Solomon was more or less, he was born with a royal silver spoon in his mouth. He always lived under royalty. He didn't have the hardships like David had been through. So you can see how David was conditioned very differently than Solomon was, which caused David to be a whole lot more disciplined than Solomon was. Their focus on following the Lord was very different from each other, and that's why the Bible gave us that comparison. But remember, though, the Lord had promised to David that Solomon would build a house for his name, even still, that the Lord knew Solomon was going to do this, but he still chose Solomon to build the house for his name. So it's very comforting for me to see how the Lord can still work through someone that he already knows is going to mess up. (laughs) You catching me? He already knows that Solomon was going to mess up, but he already figured he would work through him anyway. That gives me a lot of comfort to see that because it makes me consider myself. I'm a flawed guy. I'm a sinner. But yet to know that the Lord can still work through me despite my falling short, doesn't that make you feel great that knowing that you give yourself to the Lord God despite the bad things you may have done, the mistakes you've made, the deficiencies you have and the weaknesses you've got that you beat yourself up over all the time, the Lord can still use you? That's good news. But one thing before we move on, notice the passage I just read to you. It says that David fully followed the Lord. Now, if you recall, David committed adultery. Then he tried to cover it up by murdering her husband, Uriah. And then he went into denial about it until the prophet Nathan had to come and hit him upside the head. David, you're the guy that did all this mess. So I'm thinking that what we just read, David fully followed the Lord. Okay. How can anybody say that David fully followed the Lord after all this terrible stuff that he did? Also, David was a man after God's own heart. Well, knowing all the great sins he committed, how can we say this? Adultery, murder, all this. How can David have been fully following the Lord? The entire key to understanding this is summed up in one word, just one word. It's the R word. It's rated R. It's the word people don't like to hear but it's going to help you follow the Lord fully despite what you've done. It's the word repentance. Repentance. David repented. Yes, he messed up. Solomon messed up too, but David repented of it. It means he turned around and left. He repented of it. Now, as we know, Romans 3.23 says we're all sinners. We've all fallen. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, even me. Yes, those of you who look at me and think, well, Ray, you're such a great goody-two-shoe pastor. I could never be as good as you. No, I'm a sinner just as just as anybody. I'm not putting myself any higher. We're all sinners, but not all of us are repentant. We're all sinners, but not all of us are repentant about our sin. There's a lot of people that don't want to repent of their sin. They want to keep it. Now, David was a repentant sinner. Now, after David sinned, he tr- he was truly repentant about it. David's fall included adultery, lying, and murder, and cover-ups. He sinned greatly against the Lord, but David quickly admitted it, and he repented of it. I want you to look at 2 Samuel 12, 13. I'm trying to show the difference between Solomon and David. It says, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David confessed this. He said to Nathan, I messed up. And Nathan then told him, so the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. (laughs) There's a gospel picture in that. This is what I love about the grace of God in that we are all sinners. We've all committed terrible acts. But if we repent then the Lord will put away our sin away from us. That's why he sent Jesus to die, to put your sin away from you so that you don't die with it on you, 
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set.